0: Good morning, everyone.
1: Good morning. morning.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to being with you all next week. I'll be back in town. We'll have our potluck. Uh, So next week uh, might be a good time to invite a visitor to join us for class and for fellowship next week if you think somebody might be interested in joining us. I'll be glad to be there. Let's begin class with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you again as our time together has come for us to study. We ask your presence to join us, enlighten our minds, transform our hearts, and help us to be effective in carrying this message to the world. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. We're doing lesson number eleven in the quarterly "Managing Till the Mass uh, for the Master Till He Comes," and the title is "Managing in Tough Times." And the memory text uh, from the King James New King James of uh, Psalms fifty four, verse fourteen and fifteen reads. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. What does it mean to pay your vows to God? I didn't particularly like that uh, That. That wording, so I looked it up in some other versions, and the other versions actually have fulfill your vows to God. I like fulfill better than pay personally. Fulfill would mean things like be, just be honest and loyal and faithful and true. Do what you say you're going to do, be true. <clears throat> I'm just not sure about the word pay. It almost sounds more mechanical or transactional or commercial or something we do in order to get something back. Uh, that's just how that word hits me. In reality, it's our, our loyalty, faithfulness, honesty with God doesn't change God. But it's necessary for us to be able to stay attuned with God, to stay aligned with God, to be in harmony with him and connect and hear and understand and value what he values, to receive his wisdom, to uh, receive his power. This is how we stay connected by aligning and tuning our hearts with him through our faithfulness to him. So, that, that, so it doesn't impress God that we're faithful. It keeps us open to receive all God wants to pour into us. Does that make sense? Yeah. What does it mean to call upon the Lord and in the day of trouble and that the Lord will deliver us and we will glorify him? talk to now Yeah, have you, have you known people who found themselves in troubles? <laughs> Maybe a victim of a thug, uh, someone who was trafficked, somebody in a war zone displaced, someone suffering with a terminal disease, and, and you've known somebody in some circumstance and they called upon the Lord and the war did not stop and the crime was not interrupted and the disease was not cured. Have you ever known something like that? Yes. Doesn't that refer to you spiritual war? Not. So how do you, so how do you explain this Bible verse to somebody who who says they tried this and and their troubles weren't were not relieved. What do you say to them?
1: Well, it reminds me of Job. The troubles that Job had, he didn't know why he was experiencing what he did, but he continued to have faith, and in the end, it showed that God was on his side.
0: So Job would be an indication of somebody who's faithful who did not have their troubles relieved. So this promise then that we're reading in Psalms has some limitation to it. It's not a universal problem to deliver from all difficulties here on earth. That's not what it really means, is it? And this is an idea that we have to be careful. Sometimes we read a promise and, and we apply it in the way we think it should be applied and into the circumstances that we want uh, to, uh, to try to affect the outcome that we would like. Jesus said in Luke 21, 12 through 19, but before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogue and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors all, and all on account of my name. This will result in you being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life so what do these texts mean how can god promise that if we call on him he'll deliver us in time of trouble but that we will be persecuted and even put to death but as we're being persecuted and put to death not a hair on our head will perish
2: we have a promise of a better
0: life
1: he's talking about eternal life eternal that we will have eternal life
0: so what's this mean not a head hair on your head will perish
1: wouldn't perish mean second death
0: Okay, so, so no, I like where you're going with that, Teresa. We're trying to understand what is actually meant here because it clearly is not to be taken literally. It has to have some other meaning. You can't die and, and by dying not be harmed and not have, in a physical earthly sense. There has to be a deeper meaning. So what's the entire point and focus of scripture? faith
1: in God. Trust Him. To obey God and trust in Him because
0: at the end He's going to give us eternal life. What, which, okay, what, so you you, you described the, the, the process. We could call what you just described the plan of salvation. Right. The purpose of Scripture is the plan of salvation. Saving humans from eternal death caused by sin. Restoring us to harmony with God. Eternal life. The plan of salvation. That's its purpose, isn't it? Yes. When reconciling us to God so we receive eternal life, the plan of salvation. So God's promises and actions in Scripture are always geared toward the outworking of the plan of salvation, aren't they? Yes. Jesus said in Matthew ten don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. He, so he's saying in Luke 21 that evil powers in this world will seek to destroy the righteous, that evil forces may even kill the body, but they cannot cause us to eternally perish or destroy our individualities, our identities, our souls. Not the smallest piece of our true self, represented by the hairs on our heads, not the smallest piece of our true identity will perish for those who who, uh, love the Lord. Um, None of that will be eternally destroyed. So, here's how I rendered the memory verse in the Remedy Psalms. So, Bring me what matters, a heart thankful to God, and give the Most High your loyalty, just as you have promised. Call upon me when you are hurting and distressed, and I will heal you, transforming your character, and you will glorify me. So I'm emphasizing the healing isn't necessarily a physical healing. The healing is the healing of heart, mind, and character, so that even if, like Job, we're suffering with boils, we still glorify God in our faithfulness and loyalty to him.
1: I like that the word salvation is kind of similar to the word salve.
0: You know? Yes, that's right. The same root. Mm-hmm.
1: And so yeah. you put that on to remedy or to heal a wound you have, and salvation is put on to remedy heal, and heal the wound of
0: your soul. Well said. Well said. Third paragraph in the quarterly says, Sometimes our world seems to be spinning out of control. Wars, bloodshed, crime, immorality, natural disasters, pandemics, economic uncertainty, political corruption, and more. There is a strong urge for individuals and families to think first of their own survival. Accordingly, much thought is given to seeking security in these uncertain times, which, of course, is understandable. What is driving people to seek security? what's the drive to do that
1: fear fear fear
0: Fear. Fear. do only the unrepentant wicked experience fear Mm -hmm. or do the righteous also experience fears
1: but perfect love casts out fear
0: just like so jesus didn't have any anxieties or fears in the garden of gethsemane when he anguished and sweat blood because he had perfect love there was no fears for him to overcome well, that's a good point. <laughs> so the the point is, I think that we are we experience fear, but what you're saying is that it can be overcome. And this is my next question. Are there different options to address, resolve, overcome fear available to the righteous that the rejectors of God do not have available to them? They
1: don't have hope.
0: What are the options that the righteous have when they're confronted with fears Trusting God. what are the what has God given us to combat, deal, cope, overcome fear that the righteous people have and we're going to come to a and we're going to ask as we go through these, do those who have rejected God have these as an option as in their rejection so the idea is you no know, could they choose to go that but As long as they're rejecting God, do they have these? Well, the first one is trust in God. If you're afraid and you actually trust God with the circumstance, does your trust actually help you overcome the fear? Do those who reject God have the benefit of trusting God? Well, clearly they don't. They could choose to trust him, but until they do, they don't have this. So they can't cope with fear by trusting God as long as they're rejecting him. Does that make sense? Okay, what about prayer? Those who reject God aren't going aren't to turn to him. How about claiming the promises of God? Uh, have you ever been comforted in the face of fear by remembering some of God's promises? I will never leave you nor forsake you.
1: I will never change.
0: Yes. Yep, God is the same. Yes, he won't change. Right. How about trustworthy friends of God? Can they be a comfort and help you cope with fear? Mm-hmm. How about the protection of angels? Do those who reject God get the benefit of protecting angels or eventually does God set them free and the angels protections are withdrawn mm-hmm. how about the presence of the Holy Spirit we see uh, stories like Stephen being stoned uh, and the and he sees heaven opening do you think the Holy Spirit was there comforting him let's reject how about what Linda said earlier, love, love for God and love for others poured into our hearts. Romans 5.5, 5. God pours his love into our hearts. And, and does love help us overcome fear? Mm-hmm. And it does neurobiologically as well. We know when we activate the love circuits, we actually calm the fear circuits of our brain. How about having a higher purpose than yourself? Something that means more to you than yourself? a calling, a purpose, standing for something that's in, that, that, that you, you would rather die for than give up. Well, all of these are, and there's more, hope. I didn't mention hope.
1: Tim? Yes? What about knowing there's a bigger picture?
0: So that, yes, and that would help our trust in God, that would help our purpose and understanding, uh, uh, giving us a perspective, yes, that, absolutely.
1: A lot of times people think that Christianity is a crutch for trying to make your way through this world, but I see it as a strength because you, uh, I see it as a strength because you can heal from the wounds, you can be from an abused home, you can suffer all kinds of ha- things at the hands of other people and because God can heal you and you let him heal you you don't have to pass that on and create fear in someone else by your behavior copying how you were
0: treated well said and so all these all these benefits to coping with fear these tools these resources that God has given us are they available to the those who reject God yes. not not could they choose them but are they as long as they're rejecting God, able to utilize them.
2: No, no, no. no.
0: They're not. No. So, so, so think then, they still have fear. They don't have all of these resources that the believer in God has to cope with their fear. So then what actions do they take to seek security?
1: Say self. Control. Selfish.
0: So they, they run, seeking somewhere to hide. They fight against what they perceive as threats. The running can take all types of examples. They can run into entertainment, into pleasures, into drugs, into alcohol, into relationship, dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional. They're running, trying to find comfort, to take away their fears, to make them feel something different. And this is what drives a lot of addictive behaviors, a lot of dysfunctional behaviors, because they're trying to fill the void and take the fear away. But it doesn't work. That's the hiding. And then the fighting identify where the where you believe the fear is is coming or the potential threat is and then use might and power and control and mandates and restrictions of liberties and and stop anyone from speaking a word of truth that could uh, remind you that you might actually be in a position of vulnerability because that would frighten you and you don't want to hear that word of truth so we have to silence the truth speakers and 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 police speech and we we will name call and accuse others who live differently than us remember the 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 lives of the righteous just living right righteously condemns those that live wickedly we don't have to it's the light of our life it actually brings that condemnation so they have to try to seek to put the light out propaganda lies economic sanctions financial pressures look at all the things that the world does to try to make themselves feel safer have you seen any of this happening in the world the last few years and why do you think it's happening why why is god allowing it to happen
1: well, people are being We're, galvanized from one side to the other.
0: They're being polarized further and further apart from each oh, other. okay. And is there a, is there kind of a Bible process that that describes what you just said? Have you ever heard of something called the shaking? No.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And what's the shaking supposed to do? What's the idea of the shaking?
1: Sift after those that follow God and those that don't.
0: So historically, there have always been three camps of people. Those settled and sealed under their loyalty of God that nothing can move them from it. Job was one of them. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, other people were in that camp. Those sealed and hardened against God and nothing can win them over. They've destroyed the faculties that, that will respond to love and truth. And they're hardened and lost. And then that middle group who haven't committed to and been sealed to the Lord, haven't hardened against God, they're in that middle group. Either they haven't heard the gospel yet, don't really know about the options, or they've heard but they're, they're trying to walk the fence and have a foot in both camps uh, because of the consequences or the or the sacrifices to really commit to Christ they're not ready to make. You know, the middle group. Before Christ, when, when Christ appears, will there still be a middle group? No. no. No, they polarize. And so you say this polarization. So God is allowing events to occur for the purpose of people making eternal decisions. Decide. Who's, this is like the Mount Carmel, choose ye this day whom you will serve, you know. If Baal is God, worship him. If Yahweh is God, worship him. So so why is this happening? Where is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on earth?
1: In our hearts.
0: hearts? Hearts and minds of people, seven, eight billion people on the planet. What happens as billions of people permanently harden themselves and close the Holy Spirit out of their heart? What happens to the Holy Spirit's presence on earth?
2: It, withdraws.
0: it slowly withdraws as we close, as people close the heart. And as the spirit withdraws, what happens to satanic forces on earth? The mm-hmm. They get more freedom to act. And what do satanic forces do with greater liberty?
1: Destroy. 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 <laughs> destroy evil.
0: And this is why we see more debasement, chaos, destruction, violence, all types of disintegration of the normal social, healthy social fabric and you say, well, why would God allow this? Why doesn't he intervene? Well, he has been. He's had his angels holding back the four winds of strife. He's been intervening since Adam fell. So why is he loosening his intervention? Well, we're, we're hardening our hearts. Uh, over the last couple of years, I have attended several medical events with hundreds, if not a thousand people or more, uh, medical professionals of various kinds, at which at some point in the program, somebody got up and voiced praise at the wonderful activities of the medical community during COVID, at all of the work that people did to lock people in their homes and mandate mask wearing and jab people with an experimental uh, drug and and all these things is what a wonderful thing that we all did. And everybody applauded. There was even standing, some standing ovations for wonder how wonderful we did as a medical profession. And I looked around. I did not stand. I did not applaud. I, because what we did as a medical community and what we perpetrated through pressure and coercion and sanctions and other things has caused millions of more deaths and harm than any benefit that was reaped from those actions. And that's well documented and it's only growing. Yet these people are blind to it. They're completely oblivious. They think they did good work. Imagine those people who crucified Christ and and petitioned Pilate to get him off the cross, ran home that night to keep the Sabbath thinking they just did good work.
1: One of the saddest things is the heroes, the nurses, and everybody who were dealing with the sick coming in were praised and all that for putting on their garments and, you know, taking care of these people. And then once the worst of the pandemic was over, they started getting fired because they'd been through all this COVID and they wouldn't take the injection. And now they were, f- these heroes of, of the previous year were now fired from their jobs.
0: Yeah. I could see the truth. These medical, other professionals didn't seem to see it. What needs to happen for these people to actually come and recognize the truth of what's transpired. What's going to need to happen? Overwhelming, reality-based consequences revealed over time that their denial can no longer ignore. That's what needs to happen. And that's what's happening. Slowly, more, more and more every day is revealed, and more and more deniers are starting to acknowledge they were wrong. It's a slow process. I realize that God permits people to make their choices and then lets the consequences come to bear. And when things get more chaotic, these events waken people up who still have the capacity to respond to truth. And they ask, what's going on in the world? What's happening? Why all the, this disintegration? Why all this violence? Why all this collapse? Why all this economic problem? Those who have already destroyed the faculties that God has given them to respond to truth and love will look at those same events and turn it around and blame the righteous for them. They won't actually inquire why it's truly happening. They will, they will project and lie about it. It will be important. Remember, the church is even described as 10 sleeping virgins. Five of them were wise and five were foolish, but, but all of them were asleep it will be important when the sleeping people wake up because events demand them and they ask what's going on. It will be important at that time that God has people who have already been settled into the truth about him and understand the great controversy perspectives, understand his methods and principle. He has his people all over the world ready to... Give the answers to the questions, to explain the great controversy, to explain the methods of God, to explain why this is happening, to explain what's coming upon the world. And from the witness of these people, a great multitude from every tribe, language, nation, and people give their hearts to the Lord and are saved. And so, what God is waiting for right now, as I understand it, why He's still holding to a great degree these things. You say, why the delay? Why the delay? Because the people of God have not made themselves ready to give the witness that he needs them to give, to tell the truth about this picture. And he's waiting for us to be sealed. This is why the Bible says that judgment starts with the house of God. We have to make the judgment about God first. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. We have to judge him to be the creator. We have to judge his laws to be design laws. We have to judge his methods to be the right methods. We have to discern the difference between what he does and the systems of the world. We have to be settled into the truth of his kingdom. And then the winds start to loosen and the troubles start to come and our witnesses there around the world to tell the people who are looking what the true answers are and a great multitude respond. Hey, Kim. Yes.
1: When I come into the church in 1991, I um, went to a Bible study where I lived. I was told that when the Holy Spirit was lifted from the earth, that we would be standing on our own and we better really have God's word written in our heart because the Holy Spirit was going to leave us as well. Um, I've come
0: to find out that's not true. It depends on what you mean by those words. This is the idea of living without an intercessor and so forth and so on that's often said and it causes fright for people and so forth. Here's the reality if you understand the plan of salvation from the design law view. God is working to seal us or settle our hearts and minds in loyalty and faithfulness to him that nothing can shake us from it, like Job. He was perfect and righteous in all his ways. And then when the protective hands were removed and he had all this tribulation, he didn't have celebration at what he was going through. He had many questions. He didn't understand why it was happening. But he knew one thing. He knew that God was trustworthy, and he even said, even if it were God that were going to slay me, I would still trust him. Okay? That's what he was sealed on. And so when these types of things that you're describing, if they mean that the those who have journeyed with God have come to the point like Job, that they've been sealed and settled, and the Holy Spirit, the New Testament tells us, is the down payment of our sealing... Okay? that we have come to that settling in our hearts that nothing can shake us from our loyalty and trust of God, then yes, the intercessory work of Christ to bring us to the point of that loyalty is done. He's accomplished his mission. We've arrived at the point of that faithful loyalty that we can't be shaken from it. So we don't need him to intercede and, and bring us to that point anymore because we're, we're where he needed to bring us. Does that make sense? But if we mean it in the sense of, if you make a mistake, you won't have anybody to plead to the Father anymore, and you'll have to face all those sins on your own, that's a different different explanation, brings lots of fear. And the withdrawing of the Holy Spirit, in my view, will never be withdrawn from the hearts and minds of the righteous. The Holy Spirit, in fact, will be poured out on the hearts and minds of the righteous. This is the latter rain. The latter rain is going to empower us, and we will be like Stephen. We might uh, get glimpses uh, into heaven. Our faces will will begin to have a certain radiance of holiness to them the closer we get to the second coming, and the more we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But uh, global-wide, the Holy Spirit will be withdrawn, and the world will be in a terrible chaos. But as individuals, we will be standing as beacons of light uh, in, in that dark world. Did that answer your question, Teresa?
1: Yeah, that the last part there is the conclusion I had come up
0: with, that the Holy Spirit will never leave me. That's right. That's exactly right. Unless you harden your heart against them. Yes. All right. Okay. Uh, Sunday's lesson, the title is Putting God First and focuses our attention on the famous story of Jehoshaphat and the army coming to destroy Judah and how the king, when he heard of the threat, immediately decided to inquire of the Lord and call the fast for all of Judah. And after prayerfully inquiring of the Lord, the prophet of God told the king the following. We find this in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 15 to 17. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O oh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. The lesson asks, what are the spiritual principles we can take from this story? What are the principles, what are the lessons from this story for us today?
1: Trust. Trust in God.
0: Number one, always trust God. Well, well said, yes. And that includes trust God with how things turn out. And don't give in to fear and discouragement when things of this world are beyond your ability. There are some things in this world we are to handle. In other words, you are to brush your own teeth. (laughs) You're not to trust God to send an angel to brush your teeth for you every day. I trust God will send an angel. If he wants my teeth brushed, he'll brush them for me each night before I go to bed. I trust him that much. That is actually not the kind of trust. That, That is presumption. So there are duties that are ours to carry out. But when and because of that, sometimes we can think that that it's ours to do something that's beyond us. And we'll get overwhelmed because we suddenly realize that's beyond us to do. And this was Jehoshaphat. Um, It was beyond them. I'm sure Jehoshaphat running Jerusalem and Judah, if they had a a single criminal trying to do crime, they could handle that with their, um, you know, judicial system and guards and police that they had. But a big army coming, too much for them to handle. They can't handle that. And that's where they trusted God. So we have to have that discernment. Other lessons. Does this story, letting God fight for us, does this mean that we are never to engage in any battles, that we are never to actively fight in any type of conflict, that we are always to remain passive in every conflict and exclusively await for the Lord to act and deliver us? No.
1: No. (laughs) Yes or no? No. No.
0: So, no, because Paul actually gives us a, 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 a direction in 2 Corinthians ten three through 5. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage wars the world does. So we war, but not like the world. The weapons we fight with, so we have weapons that we are to fight with, are not the weapons of the world, though. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, oh, okay, wait a minute, we're fighting something differently here, and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus. Are there battles in which we are to seek God, surrender, trust, follow, but also actively engage the battle? Are there battles like that? Yes. Yes. Paul makes it clear there are. Uh, And those battles we fight are not using the worldly weapons. Jehoshaphat did not use worldly weapons. He went and used the weapons of faith and trust and let God intervene in that circumstance for him. We are not to go to war seeking to dominate and control people with physical might and coercion. We are not to seek to destroy or kill real enemies there are real enemies in this world we're not to seek to destroy and kill them are we No. what about using the power of the state to bring order to govern to pass laws are we to seek to control the state to pass laws to force other people to live in harmony with what we know are god's principles no No.
2: you can't do it it's against our principles
0: Mm-hmm. If we are not to do that, does that mean that we should have no laws and let crime and criminals do whatever they want? No. Not at all. I didn't hear a big, big answer to that. Not at all. No. <laughs> Our laws are too restrained. So what is the righteous use of government then? If we're, if we're not to pass laws to force people to live the righteous life that we think is right, and we're not to let people just live any old way they want and be criminals, what is the righteous use of government? <laughs> to restrain those who would do harm. The government. Thank you. Is, is that Eve? Eve. Yeah. Eve. Yes. Thank you, Eve. I couldn't see, you, but I heard you. I, I can see you, but it's kind of small, so I wasn't. I couldn't see your mouth moving.
2: The government is dealing with behavior where God's laws and God's kingdom deals with motives and, and Amen. interior Amen. desires.
0: Oh, Stan. Well said. That's well said. That's right. So the only righteous use of might and power is to restrain those who actively seek to harm others, to restrain. In restraining the evildoer, we protect all parties. We protect the innocent. We also protect the evildoer from adding more damage to their own characters and consciences. But restraint of evildoers is not the same thing as advancing righteousness and anytime governments move away from simply setting up the healthy boundaries that maximize human thriving and liberty seeking only to restrain those who are actively harming others anytime human governments instead seek to advance a moral agenda of some kind to promote righteousness by legislation. Anytime governments seek to do that, they always end up harming, violating God's law, injuring people, regardless of what the moral agenda is, including the current earth worshipers advancing their green agenda. It's harmful. It's harmful to the planet, what they're doing. It's harmful to souls and minds, it's harmful to families, it's harmful to the economy. There is nothing redemptive or beneficial to anyone on this planet by what the green movement is trying to legislate around the world. It's all harm. Because it violates God's principles, and it's well documented in science that it's harmful as well. Many other woke policies seeking to advance a woke religious movement of various kinds do the same thing, but It doesn't have to be left. It can be right. We see a long history of the Church of the Dark Ages seeking to use the power of the state to advance a moral agenda of its version of Christianity, and it only caused harm and damaged and interfered with godly development of character. You cannot advance righteousness through legislation. You can only restrain evil through the use of the state. Does that make sense? And so, as people of God, we're not to restrict liberties of people. We're not to threaten their livelihoods, restrict commerce. This is what the beast of Revelation does. No one can buy or sell, save him who has the mark of the beast. So, what are the divine weapons Paul was referring to that we are to use? Truth. truth that's, yeah, the Bible actually describes truth in the form of a weapon. Sword of truth. The sword of truth. That's right. The sword of truth, it's a weapon, that's right. And the sword cuts through lies, feelings, attachments. It's the sword of truth that cuts our heart's affections away from things that are destructive if we allow it. So the sword of truth. What other weapons? Faith. Faith, okay. And that weapon, and, and by the way, there's a sword of truth. Can somebody use the sword of truth to in a godly way to, that works toward redemption? Can someone use the sword of truth, actual truth, in ways that cause harm? Yes.
1: Yes. 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 yes.
0: How about faith? Can faith be used, in as we've described, in godly ways that help us grow in our um, character to be more christ-like we have faith in christ and we grow in a godly can it be used that way mm-hmm. can faith be used to harden hearts and corrupt characters yes the wrong kind of
1: thing it depends on what you have faith in right.
0: yeah that's exactly correct mm-hmm. yes faith can be used to harden hearts if you place your faith in a fraudulent god mm-hmm. or yourself or your money, or the state, or your political party. When you're talking with
2: somebody about faith, if you see their eyes starting to glaze over and they have (laughs) no reception, it's not saturating at all, as long as you talk, you're only hardening them to resist you, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I I think you've got to determine whether or not a person is open to what you're saying, well said. And if you're not, so, if you're not, you're actually destroying the possibility of getting through to that person in the future.
0: That's well said. Yeah, we. That's like can't force feed somebody. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> so so truth, faith, any other weapons what? that godly weapons we have to wield. Yeah. Love. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Love. That's exactly right. How about the weapon of liberty? Is that a weapon we can wield? Freedom. Yes. Can you wield the weapon of liberty? Hey, you're free to think that if you like. I love you enough to let you. (laughs) Really? You don't get drawn in to manipulation of others trying to... But please don't think that way. Please don't think of me that way. I present the truth in love. I'm going to leave you free. What causes people... What causes you more likely to seriously consider it uh, anything if it's been presented to you and you really experience freedom that there's no pressure on you or if it's presented to you with pressure... Even if it's true, if it's presented with you with pressure, are you more likely to to accept the truth under pressure or more likely to accept it under an atmosphere of real freedom? freedom? Freedom. Freedom's a weapon. The weapon we wield to advance the kingdom of God. Patience. How about wisdom? Is wisdom of God a weapon we can wield? Discernment, kindness, gentleness, meekness, hope. Lots of weapons God has given us. So we're to present the truth and love, leave others free. We're to trust God with outcomes. We're to remain hopeful. We're to be active in God's cause, not passive. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We're not to be antagonizing. Not to cast our pearls before swine, lest they turn and rend us asunder. I think. I think Ken, you were kind of going along that line there for a minute. Don't don't keep pushing this in people's face who don't want to hear it they'll just get angry and and, and not only close their heart, they might have to attack you to shut you up okay <laughs> besides opposing lies yeah. and policies and practices that are contrary to the kingdom of god that uh, besides that besides these opposing the opposing okay what other active Things uh, types of warfare are we to engage in? Is there another type of warfare that we're to engage in besides the, this posing the lies? Well, I'll give you one quote. I had a couple, but I think we're running out of time. Here, here, This is out of conflict and courage, page 117. Battles are to be fought every day. A great warfare is going on over every soul between the prince of darkness and the prince of life. As God's agents, we are to yield. you are to yield yourself to God, that he may plan and direct the, the fight and fight the battle for you with your cooperation. The prince of life is at the head of the work. He is to be with you in your daily battle with self. That you may be true to principle, that passion when warring for the mastery may be subdued by the grace of Christ, that you come off more than conquerors for him that has loved us. Jesus has been over the, over the ground. He knows the power of every temptation. He knows just how to meet every emergency and how to guide you through every path. And then there is another quote, which is a Gospel Worker 376. The warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all to the will of God, and being clothed with humility, possessing that love that is pure, peaceable, and easy to be entreated, full of gentleness and good fruits, is not an easy attainment. The soul must submit to God before it can be renewed in the knowledge of true holiness. So, in addition to the lies and the selfishness and the threats in the world and the fears around us, don't we all have a battle with self to fight? Yes. And can God fight that battle without us? Can we fight and win that battle without God? No. No. This is a joint warfare. God cannot win that battle in your heart without your cooperation. And you can't win it without God. God gives you the wisdom. He gives you the desire. He gives you the motive. He gives you the grace. He gives you the love. He gives you the strength. But he never makes the choice for you. You make the choice. Monday's lesson. The lesson focuses on our need to trust God and not our own resources, and uses the story of King David being tempted to take a census. And why did God not want David to take a census? Because he would depend on his army. That's exactly right. And so, Satan tempts David to take a census as a means. Understand, taking a census even of itself is not a bad thing. This was a means to tempt David to take his focus and faith off of God and place it on something temporal or earthly. That was the problem. You're exactly right. Do we ever struggle with that temptation today? Most of us, I don't know if anybody in the room has an army that they can count up their soldiers. Most of us don't. So what kinds of things do we get tempted to trust rather than God? Money. Money. And that can be cash, retirement plans. What else? People. People are all government. People. We'll put our trust in other people. What about fame? Oh. How about our own intelligence? Another, that's a way of saying trusting ourselves. That's scary. <laughs> How about this one? Now, and remember, we're, we're putting this together we talked about earlier about the fears that we're tempted with and how we have all these things from God that we can dress those fears with, but those who don't know God have to look other places and basically placing their confidence or their trust or their faith or their security in something other than God. They're looking for something to trust to make them feel safe, right? Isn't that what we're talking about here? Yeah. Trust our armies? our wealth, or trust God. So, so today, how about people trusting the government? Mm-hmm. The CDC, the FDA, mm-hmm. the injections that they get, the masks, the lockdowns. We'll trust in all these man-made interventions. That's where we'll make us feel safe.
1: False.
0: Science, we'll trust science.
1: Somebody said something? False, false information.
0: Yeah. Yes, false. Can people trust in a lie? <laughs>
1: yep.
0: they can trust in it. anything. Yes. So, and 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 if they trust in a lie, can they at least for a period of time actually feel better? That lie makes them feel safer. For instance, it's well documented: community mask wearing had zero effect on reducing the spread of the virus. Zero. There's actual data that caused other health problems, so it actually worsened health overall. But absolutely, and if anybody questions that, just ask, do you believe that the virus did not spread across America? There were, there were groups and populations of people where the virus never went because the people wore the masks. Or did it go everywhere? It went everywhere. It went, everywhere. It went everywhere. It went everywhere. And the data is very clear. Zero effect. Zero, zero, zero. But, so it was a lie that you could wear a mask and actually be protected from this virus. That was a lie. But did people who wear the mask actually feel less ang- anxious? They felt safer going out in society with this thing on their face. So there you go. There's a good example. You can believe in a lie, and that lie can have no objective real benefit, but it makes you feel better.
2: Placebo effect. Well, a placebo effect. It, it would actually have the opposite uh, effect in that wearing a mask, you wouldn't be afraid of the people who would censor you or you know, reject you otherwise. Yeah. That, and that would be the reason you'd be wearing it, not yeah, because you thought virtue. you were going to get
0: Well, in the beginning, I think most people wore it because they actually believed the lie and they were going to protect. But by the end of the cycle, when the evidence became quite obvious, the, the persistent wearers are either, either, they're wearing it for some other reason. It could be what you're saying, virtue signaling. Virtue. It becomes a form of... Religious attestation, some people walk around in the community with their little religious hats on, right. uh, some people with their religious collars on, and they give a, a, a proclamation to everyone. I have a certain faith that I approach the world through, and people wearing these masks today, most of them are giving a proclamation of where their faith and belief system is. Like a gold chain with a cross on it, you know. Similar, gold chain with a cross on it. Uh, that, yeah, it, so it can, it can serve a different purpose other than the initial declared purpose. Was God trying to instruct through the story of David, don't take a census? Was this a story put in the scripture to be passed down through the generations to ensure that all true faithful followers of God do not keep accurate records, never hire an accountant, don't take censuses, don't have an inventory of the materials in their businesses? Is this what God was trying to teach us to do?
1: No. No.
0: Not at all. It's a simple lesson, but I, I say that to you. Kind of laugh. You guys are wise. But you know, some people approach scripture like this. They will take things and they will make rules and and and, and literal applications, and not understand the context or the purpose of the deeper meaning for that action at that place and time, and why it was said. Some might uh, might do the same thing with uh, with other Christian writers. Uh, writings of of Ellen White where she said you shouldn't take drug medications because they're poisons and they find that statement and so they believe you should never take any pharmaceuticals at all for any reason and in her day if you ask what the drug medications were the drug medications, those terms in her day meant arsenic strychnine, mercury and laudanum and she said they're poisons well guess what? they're poisons (laughs) Okay, so if you really want to take what she meant, she would say, you shouldn't take poisons into your body. Yeah. But some people say, because she called, don't take drug medications, because they're poisons, that means if you have a bad infection, that you shouldn't take an antibiotic, because the antibiotics are poison. I think uh, many millions of people have been saved, and, and I know myself, I've had pneumonia more than once, and those antibiotics saved my life. So, Fourth paragraph says, in our immediate context, it is very tempting to trust in the power of the government or in our bank accounts. But in every crisis mentioned in the Bible, when the people trusted in God, he honored their trust and provided for them. Have you seen people placing their trust in the government rather than God the last couple of years? And how has it turned out? I saw this division very clearly, quite clearly. Those who love God, and there were people who love God, on either side of the intervention questions. But those who love God, regardless of the intervention they believed was the right actions to take, The way they handled it, if they love God and his methods, as we understand them, is they presented their concerns and the evidence and their rationale and their reasons to the people that they care about in the community, and then they left people free to decide for themselves. That's how the people who are really operating in God's kingdom approached a problem like this. The people who were really, really driven by fear, not driven by, by love, believed that science or the government could keep them safe. They believed that it was right and good to force others to act in certain ways and restrict all types of liberties, speech, worship, assembly, travel, commerce, and even force people to take drugs they did not want to take. They believed all this was righteous to do. They even said it was okay because we're, quote, saving lives, unquote. But they they were not doing this out of love. They were doing this out of fear. You couldn't go to church, but you could go in a liquor store. Right, yes. Liquor stores were considered essential businesses that need to stay open. (laughs) Yeah, but churches had to close. Understand, anybody with discernment, if you understand outcomes, you look at the decisions, you look at consequence, you look at outcome, you can then discern the agenda. There's a real agenda here, and it had nothing to do with saving lives. In fact, I was uh, just at a conference where uh, it was well documented that the interventions for COVID have in, uh, it markedly increased alcohol and drug abuse during this time, more than doubled uh, deaths from overdose, markedly increased uh, Suicidality uh, in teens and adolescents markedly went up. Mental health conditions, depressions and anxieties markedly went up. Uh, There was no health benefit from what we've done to our people. It was harmful. And that's what you get when you violate God's design laws for life. When you violate liberties, you harm people. And does that mean, though, that you're against quarantine? Not in the historic sense. What did we just say is the righteous use of force and power, restraining people who would do harm. So the historic use of quarantine was you would quarantine or restrain people who were actively infectious and symptomatic with disease for the period of time that they were actively infected and and sick with disease. So people would quarantine for a week to 10 days and then that was it, only the symptomatic and the sick. Nobody else. Notice what we did during this pandemic is we required all the healthy people to isolate. Can't visit your family members in a nursing home. You can't have to wear masks when you go out in community. When you're, when you're healthy, you can't assemble at church when you're healthy. We quarantined healthy people. That is not what you do. But that's what they did. That's why it was harmful. And I want you to understand that this this was a grand evil manipulation of minds by fear and propaganda. And, and it is an object lesson of the beastly system that we're warned about that takes over the world before Christ comes. It was a wake-up call. I really believe that what happened during COVID, and just think about it, If we could go back to 2019 and go to any Adventist church in the world and say how many of you would support the government lockdown of your church for the next year, year and a half, two years? There would have been no hands that went up. How many of them did support that? And this is the deception can be so powerful that if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. And look at worldwide, how quickly did all the nations of the world unite and mandate lockdown and coerce their citizens like that? In my view, this is an object lesson that stands similar to the Roman armies surrounding Jerusalem in AD 70. Christ warned before the destruction. They came, they surrounded, they backed off for a short period of time. All the Christians fled because they remember Christ's warning. They came back and destroyed the city. And none of the Christians died when they destroyed the city. We have had our warning of what's coming. And it is our time to flee, to flee just as Christ. But this fleeing is not a geographical fleeing. This is, we are now called to leave with our hearts loyalties and affections the organizations and systems that collude with the beastly powers of this world, that will coerce their own employees, their own students, their own their own members, that will not stand for the principles of God, that will, in order to protect their investments and their reimbursements of the government, are willing to violate the principles of God's kingdom. We are to sever our hearts' loyalty to them. The Bible says it this way. God calls his people to come out of Babylon. Come out of her, my people. Amen. And we come out and we solidify in loyalty to God's kingdom, truth, love, liberty. Uh, we, we don't use those methods. And we prepare and we recognize that the next one's coming. And it's not gonna I can't tell you a time frame, but you the world has been warned. I personally believe, just like in Jerusalem, that this warning is means that uh, Christ is coming in this generation. That's my f- personal belief, this generation. I'm not a time setter, I'm not a date setter, but people that had this warning are going to be alive when Christ comes. That's my belief, that Christ is coming soon. Do you think that's wrong? No. It, it's not wrong, it, Tim. Do you think it's overstated to say it too strong, that Christ is, 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 is likely to come in this generation?
2: No, not at all. No. I'm not trying to correct you on this, but... Um, Ellen White made the um, appeal, shall we say, to people in cities to think of geographically moving away from the cities.
0: So you, you kind of, it's, you know, sectioned off the, the geographical part of this. Well, that's because, uh, that's because what I was thinking of, and I thank you, thank you for that Ken, what I was thinking of is historically throughout human history there's always been evil regimes that have risen up to persecute the righteous, always and throughout human history there has always been geographic locations where the righteous could flee to and establish new lands of liberty but the bible tells us at the end of time that the final bastion of liberty the united states will speak like a dragon and when the united states colludes to coerce the consciences with the rest of the nations of the world there's no actual place you can go to get away from the persecuting powers so that was what I was speaking of. You're suggesting perhaps you can get into the country and not have the immediate consequences of the uh, the meltdown of the social order and be a little – but you – yes. So that element, I think there's truth in that, but you're still not fleeing away from the powers that are restricting liberty. You're still working – living under their domain is, is the point. So I think uh, uh, a little bit different points we're making, but it's a good point. Thanks for bringing it up. Well, it's, it's just a caveat. <laughs> really. well, yeah.
1: And look how many people have left – several big cities have actually lost population since covid people were trapped i mean there, there wasn't any way they could go to a grocery store they were stuck in tall apartment buildings with no place to go and no place to get food or anything right
0: so moving out of those organized and those those i think that's wise that's exactly right but when it and this was the warning though remember this is the circling okay when it happens again it'll be worse and yes, to the degree you have a country home, you will maybe fly under the radar longer than the people in the cities. In another, and to the degree you have fireplace, to the degree you have your own well, to the degree you have a garden and you can grow some food, you might uh, go better. But uh, my view is, the way our world is, if they want you, they will find you.
1: <laughs> and this was worldwide, it wasn't just in America. So that's another point I think that it makes it more like Jerusalem. It was worldwide
0: that's right, this was worldwide that's exactly, right. it's a warning so, well that's as far as we've gotten our lesson today, uh, Tuesday's lesson talks more about preparing for the second coming of Christ and, and I had some things we're going to read out of uh, 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 Peter and his warning but we're not going to have time to get to that so we've we got some more really good stuff in the notes, I encourage you to check those out uh, we're going to close with prayer and then we'll come back for some Q&A time so let's go ahead and close with prayer gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for being with us today, we thank you for the warning that you have given those who are discerning to see what happens when fear takes hold of people and people are not using your methods of trust and love and truth and freedom. Uh, when they are seeking to make themselves feel safe through the power of the state, it always ends up abusively. And so, Lord, we we recognize that your kingdom is the only only righteous kingdom. And we long for the day that that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that you will seal and settle us into the truths of your kingdom and the principles of your kingdom, that nothing can shake us from it. And then your spirit will be poured out the latter rain to empower us to witness for you that others can see this truth and and the great multitude from around the world will respond and come in and that you will come soon. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.